Grab your Bible and go with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24. And uh, I'm going to preach on the resurrection, but I'm going to preach on it in a little bit different way than you've probably heard it before. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 24. We're going to read several verses. I'm going to start with verse number 13. When you get to Luke's Gospel, say amen. Some of y'all still wait and say, hold up. Luke's gospel, chapter number 24, verse number 13. You know, back in the day when you'd preach, you'd hear everybody's pages turning. Now you don't hear anything because everybody's touching their computer screen, touching their iPhones. Luke's gospel, chapter number 24. We're going to start reading with verse number 13. It records words along these lines. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus which was from Jerusalem, don't let the King James language throw you too much, it was about seven and a half miles from Jerusalem. Emmaus was about seven and a half miles from Jerusalem. And these two disciples talked together of all the things that had just happened, meaning Jesus being crucified. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near, and he went with them. But their eyes were held that they should not know him. They couldn't see him. He's walking, and he's talking with them, but they couldn't see him. Their eyes were held that they should not know him. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and you're sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, with a little bit of an attitude, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? What rock did you just crawl out from under? Have you not known these things that have happened here in these last couple of days? And you got to love Jesus. What things are you talking about? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. Watch verse 21. And we trusted, we believed that he was the one that was going to redeem all of Israel. We left everything to follow him. And besides all this, today's the third day since he was killed. And to make matters worse, certain women of our company blew our minds when they went to the tomb early. And they did not find his body, but they came and they said that they'd seen a vision of angels. And the angel said he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. And he said to those two disciples, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh to the village where they were headed. I love this part. And he made as though he would have gone further. He wasn't going anywhere. He made as though he would have gone further. And they constrained him saying, stay with us because it's toward evening. And the day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, watch this part, that he took bread. Everybody say took. Shout it, took. He took bread. Then say he blessed it. Say blessed. He break 
and he gave. Come on, you got to say it with some, with some fire in your belly. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. One more time. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. Verse 31, boom. And immediately their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And then he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they, they rose up the same hour in the middle of the night and they ran seven and a half miles back to Jerusalem and found the 11 that were gathered together and everybody else that was with them. And they said, the Lord is risen and he's appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how, watch this, and how he was known of them in the way he broke the bread. Amen and amen. You know, when it's interesting to, 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 to wrap your mind around the attitude, the mentality of the world in which Jesus entered when he came. Your Old Testament ends, hang in here with me, I promise you we're going somewhere. The Old Testament ends with all sorts of promises and all sorts of problems. God makes promises like this in the Old Covenant. At the end of Malachi, he says this, and the Lord whom you seek is going to, boom, suddenly come to his temple. Now, when God speaks to you, you have to be careful because God is tricky he will make it sound like it's going to happen the day after tomorrow. <laughs> That's how I know God's a man. Because when he speaks, he'll tell you what he's going to do. What he will not tell you is when. Am I, am I talking to anybody? If you think he's quiet about when, you should try to get him to tell you how. And the only reason, the only way you figure out the why is you survive all the other stuff. And the Lord whom you seek is going to suddenly come to his temple. Makes it sound like it's going to happen the day after tomorrow. Do you know what happened after the book of Malachi? We call it the 400 silent years. God said it's going to happen, boom, suddenly. And he doesn't say another word for 400 years. Me and God have two very different definitions of suddenly. If you want to know anything about the timetable of God, he's been coming quickly for 2,000 years. People always say he's never late. He is so last minute. Let's be honest. He can be as slow as Christmas sometimes. And the Lord whom you seek is going to suddenly come to his temple. He's going to show up. And for 400 years, the people of God are having to believe for this promise to come to pass. For 400 years, they're having to tell their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and their great-great-grandchildren and on and on and on down the generations. They're having to tell them, we don't know why God hasn't showed up yet. All we know is that he's not a liar and he's going to perform everything that he promised. Could you imagine what it was like to look in the eyes of your great-grandchild and say, I don't have an answer for you. All I know is God's not a liar and he's going to perform everything that he promised. That is the world in which Jesus entered. Boom. Jesus shows up on the scene and all of Israel is abuzz because now they are believing this is it. 
This is the promise that we've been waiting on. We have finally saw God accomplish everything that he promised he was going to accomplish. Over in your old Bible, over in the Old Testament, it says that Israel was living under a curse because of their disobedience. Part of that curse was the heavens up over their head. Your Bible said the heavens would become brass and they would close up over their head. But when Jesus showed up, your Bible says he got baptized in Jordan and then the heavens opened. Opened. They were closed, but now they open because this is it. The one we've been waiting on has finally showed up. Glory be to God. Over in your old Bible, it says that if a leper were to touch a priest, the unclean would make the clean unclean. But when Jesus comes down from his sermon on the mount, who is the first person to approach him? A leper. And that leper looks at him and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, boom, I will be thou clean. Because under the old curse, when the unclean touched the clean, the unclean made the clean unclean. But now that Jesus has showed up on the scene, when the unclean touched is the clean. The unclean doesn't make the clean unclean. The clean makes the unclean clean because Jesus has finally showed up. This is it. This is the one we've been waiting on. This is it, man. This is it. This is the second Adam that came to recover everything the first Adam forfeited. This is it. Can you imagine how that daddy felt when his son that was thrown into the fire and thrown into the water his whole life, Jesus rolls up and delivers the boy and he's healed and then he's in his right mind. You know that daddy had to think, this is it. This has been the answer to everything I've been believing for. How do you think the woman with the issue of, I'm preaching better than you, amen. How many do you think, how do you think the woman with the issue of blood fell when for 12 years she couldn't get that blood to stop and finally she touched his robe and she said, oh, this is it. This is what I've been waiting on. Hope has come alive. I, 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 love, I love reading the gospel stories. We got ready to plant this church and we decided to call it Hope Unlimited. I was gripped by the concept of hope. I would read through all the gospels and I would read all of these, all of these traumatic situations and all of these terminal illnesses and all these dire circumstances. And I would read in there and then I would read when hope would show up because it would say things like this. Then Jesus entered the village and healed everybody that was sick. That's, I, I want to slap the gospel writers. You can tell they were men too. You got this amazing story of this dad whose boy's been bound by a devil and you gave it two verses. Thrown in fire in the water, got healed. Thank you. Thank you. If that was a woman writing the story, she'd have been like, all right, this is what happened. Okay. Okay. This is what was going through my mind. I was thinking like this and I was like, OMG. And then Jesus showed up. And then I was like, is that Jesus? And my girlfriend was like, yeah, that I think. And then she was like, and then. <laughs> Boom. Hope shows up on the scene. Hope shows up on the scene. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the buzz all around Jerusalem that this that, that this could really be it? This this promise we've been waiting on for four hundred years. This is finally it. So he's walking down the road, walking down beside the Lake of Galilee, and he's just pointing at people, saying, "Yo, follow me." Didn't tell them where he was going. Didn't tell them how long they were going to be gone. But said, "Follow me," because there was something so magnetic about Jesus that he could just walk down beside people. 
say follow me and they would shut down their businesses and shut down their lives to follow this man they put all of their eggs in the same basket and said we believe this is it this is the one he is the one and then he goes off and dies can you imagine the disappointment I laid down everything for you, man. You ever had one of those, this is it, only to be met with, this ain't it. Y'all ever had one of those, I know you have, you the one. You ain't the one. You ever booked a hotel online and you look at the pictures and you think, But when you pull up to the hotel, you look at the pictures on your phone and you look at where you're about to sleep and look at the pictures on your phone. This ain't it. Some of y'all in high school, you believe that boyfriend, you believe he was the one. And then you find out he don't even like his own mama. You ain't the one. Can you imagine the devastation? Can you imagine the disappointment that we gave up everything to believe you. We laid down our whole life to follow you. We cut off our families to follow you. Everybody in our family, when we would go eat for Thanksgiving, were telling us how stupid we were for chasing you around Jerusalem. And now you're dead. Not only are you dead, we can't even find your carcass. Can't even find your body to go mourn you at least once a year. So you find two disciples leaving Jerusalem, going back home to Emmaus, because they're done. Going to go back home after following this man for three and a half years. Now he's dead, and we feel stupid for believing this. That's why your Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. There's nothing as crippling as disappointment. So they're going back home, walking down the street, talking between themselves. And when you read some of these stories in the Bible, you got to read it with some of that Medea diary of a mad black woman attitude. Can you believe? Walking back home. Can you believe it feels so stupid? Followed this man for three and a half years. Our families told us, you know how many, you know how much we're going to have to deal with? I told you so when we get back home. You know how much we're going to have to deal with? You should have listened to us. We told you you were missing it. We told you you were crazy. They're walking back home seven and a half miles. Pick up the pieces of their life. Try to mend relationships that they severed because they decided to believe Jesus. Pick up the pieces of what's left. They're walking on the way home. Leaving Jerusalem, I am done. And as they walk home, Jesus shows up out of nowhere. Starts walking with him. And I love this. He's like, what had happened? And your Bible says their eyes were held so they could not see him. They could not see him. Listen to me and listen to me close. I promise you we're going somewhere. Hang in here with me. I'm setting you up. Are you with me? I said, are you with me? I'm setting you up. They, they, the Bible says that they could not see him. They could not see him, not because he was hiding, but they couldn't see him because they were blinded 
by their own pain. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but it is hard to see God right when you're hurting. Have you ever been hurting? Have you ever really been let down? Have you ever really been disappointed and try to figure out, God, where are you at in the middle of all this? I can't make heads or tails of none of this that's going on. It's hard to see God right when you are hurting. It's hard to see God right when you're disappointed. That's why your Bible says when the disciples were in the boat and the boat was rocking, they see Jesus walking across the ocean. And do you know what they say? They point out and they say, look, it's a spirit because they couldn't see him right because they were in the middle of a storm. And it's really hard to recognize God. It's really hard to see God moving when you're in the middle of a storm. It's John the Baptist. When he's standing in the Jordan waters baptizing people, Jesus walks down by the Jordan and John boldly proclaims, this is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. But when John gets thrown in prison, he looks at his disciples and he says, listen, y'all go ask him, are you the one or do I need to look for somebody else? John, what happened to all that boldness? I thought you knew. You told the nation, this is the, the one. This is it. And now you're going through something. And now you're going through something. And you don't know if this is it or not. Because it's hard to see God right when you're hurting. So they're walking down seven and a half miles. And I have to ask myself the question, could they not tell who he was? I'm not deep. I'm a simple man. Could they not tell who he was by his countenance? Did this not ring a bell? Could you not? Thomas taught us you could look at the scars in his hands and tell where he had been crucified. Could you not see the red splotches on his beard where his beard had been ripped out of his face? Could you not tell him by his countenance? If you couldn't tell him by his countenance, could you not tell by the way he walked? Could you not tell by the way he carried himself? Could you not tell by that gait that he had, that, that stride that he had? If you couldn't tell by his countenance or you couldn't tell by his walk, could you not tell by the sound of his voice that it was him? Every mother in this room can tell you, if you're in a room full of kids and your baby says mama, you can hear it over everything else. Could you not, while you're walking for seven and a half miles, could you not pick up on the tone, the intonation of his voice? Could you not pick up on the modulation of what he had to say? If you couldn't pick up his countenance, are y'all with me this morning? If you, I, it's just a couple of questions I'm asking of the text. It's just a couple of, of thoughts as I read the story. I look at these disciples and I say, could you not look at him and tell that it was him? Could you not hear him and tell that it was him? If you couldn't tell by his look or his countenance or his stride, could you not at least tell by his message? It's not like he's a poor communicator. He's the best preacher to ever live. And he's preaching the same thing he always preached. Himself. So he does this. Let me start at Moses. We got seven and a half miles. Let me start at the front. And let's work our way through this. And for seven and a half miles, they hear the greatest expositor in the world untie the mysteries, beginning at Moses and walking all the way through the Bible, the mysteries concerning himself, and they still cannot detect that it's him. Could you imagine listening to Jesus on a seven and a half mile walk 
I would take timeouts all the time. Timeout. Five steps, timeout. What? You know how long it would take to walk seven hours? You know how long it would take me to walk seven and a half miles? Days. <laughs> huh? You don't get a body like this by working out very often. I tell some of our Bible college students, I say, this, this is a secret. When you get changed, when you look like me and you get changed at home, you just have to pray and speak in tongues so your wife, your wife remembers why she married you. <laughs> Could you not tell? So for seven and a half miles, now it's getting dark. Hang in here with me because I'm setting you up. Now it's getting dark and they go in to eat. And your Bible says that he made as though he would have gone further. See y'all later. No, stay. All right. And your Bible says when he sat down to eat, it's what we call communion. When he sat down to meet, when he sat down to commune with them, your Bible says that he took, that he took, come on, help me out now, that he took the bread, he, he, come on, I'm going I'm I'm to stay right here till we get it right, he, then he, he, Y'all sound amazing. And boom, immediately their eyes were opened. And they said, this, this is him. And I'm thinking, what happened at that table that seven and a half miles of preaching couldn't accomplish? See, you can't just read the Bible. You got to read the Bible. You got to get up in the Bible. You got to ask questions of the Bible. If you don't talk to it, it won't talk to you. Revelation begins by asking questions that currently do not have answers. And so I look at the text and I say, what happened at that table that a seven and a half mile journey of listening to this expository preacher untie the beauties of the mysteries of the text? What happened during that seven and a half mile journey that couldn't be accomplished that happened at that table? Then it hit me. He Immediately their eyes were open. And then my mind races back when he got ready to feed the 5,000. You know what he did? He took that little boy's lunch. He took it. Then your Bible says he blessed it. Then your Bible says he broke it. Then your Bible says he gave it. When he got ready to feed the 4,000, you know what the Bible says? He took that bread. Then he blessed that bread. Then he broke that bread. Then he gave that bread. He never operated outside of his own order. When he got ready to eat with the disciples, on the eve of his crucifixion your bible says they sat down at the last supper and he took the bread then he blessed the bread then he broke the bread then he gave the bread and immediately their eyes are open because anytime God gets ready to commune with you and me he's going to take us through the same process he's going to take us then he's going to bless us then he's going to break us so he can give us Everybody in this room, you are somewhere in the process of communion. You are somewhere in the order of the breaking of the bread. God walks everybody in this room. He will take you, then he'll bless you, then he'll break you. So he can give you. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Are you listening to what I'm saying? I'm trying to encourage you in some twisted kind of way this morning. But if you're in the taking, good. Good. 
Cause the blessings next. If you're in the blessing. Good. Cause the breakings next. And if you're in the breaking, good. Cause the givings next. You can take any character in your Bible. You can take any character in your Bible. And God walks every one of them through the same process. Let's take Moses. Jesus started at Moses. How about we start at Moses? Your Bible says that Moses was taken out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter. You know what Moses' name means? It means to be drawn out. It means to means to be taken because God was taking him. And then God set him in Pharaoh's house because God was blessing him. Then God set him on the backside of a desert because now God was breaking him. Only so Pharaoh could walk, only so Moses could walk into Pharaoh's court and say, You better let my people go because after you've been through the taking and the blessing and the breaking, now I'm ready to give you. You're in the process somewhere, man. You're in the taking, the blessing. You can take David. Let's take David. God takes him out from the middle of his brothers. And then God anoints him with oil in his victory over Goliath. And then God sets him in the house of Saul. Because God is going to take him from his brothers. Then he's going to bless him with the anointing. Then he's going to break him through Saul. Only so he can give him as king over all of Israel. It started out with the oil. And it ended with the crown. Do you know what happens between the oil and the crown? The blessing and the breaking. And I'm not telling you that every traumatic situation that comes in your life, God sent. I'm not telling you God sent it. I'm telling you he's so powerful, he can use it. Only we serve a God strong enough that everything the enemy sent, he can turn around and use it for good. Only we serve a God enough. Oh, hallelujah. Only we serve a God enough that can take the fiery test that you've been through and turn it into ministry for somebody else because God's going to take you. He's going to bless you. He's going to take Jesus. Taken out of a virgin's womb. Blessed for 33 and a half years broken on the cross and then given for the life of the world. I've learned to mark my life in the order of the breaking of the bread. When I was in my teens, God was taking me. When I was in my 20s, I got to travel the world, preach the gospel because God was blessing me. Then he broke me in my early 30s so he could give me to a city in my late 30s in my 40s, in my 50s, because it is the order. He never goes outside of his own order. He never takes it, then breaks it, then blesses it, then gives it. He never takes it, then gives it, then blesses it, then breaks it. He? I remember as a teenager, I was on fire for God, on fire. And some of you, listen, I'm Pentecostal. It is what it is, all right? If you don't understand some of this language, just ignore the next five minutes. And hook back up with me at the end. But I remember being a teenager, I was on fire for God. I was going, I'm going to preach the gospel. You know how I learned to preach? Preaching in my bookcases in my bedroom with a highlighter as my microphone and an ironing board as my pulpit. It's either in you or it ain't. I'm talking about I called them to Jesus. 
I remember being 17 years old, 16, 17, 18 years old. Every church service I would go into, here's Pentecostal part, don't let it freak you out. Every church service I went into, I'd get called out and prophesied over. Didn't matter. I'd get prophesied over in church, didn't even believe in prophecy. You know why? Because that was my season of taking. Everybody's been through that, right? When you first get filled with the Holy Spirit, everybody's prophesying over you. And this is what they normally say, you're going to go to the nations. First of all, don't be too excited about that word. Okay, everybody gets that one. If everybody that goes to the nations actually goes to the nations, there will be nobody left in this one. <clears throat> You're going to the nations. Say things like this. You got the mantle, Smith Wigglesworth. You got the mantle of John Knox. You got the mantle of Charles Finney. You got the mantle of all the, so many mantles you can't even breathe. Because God was taking me. Then I got launched in my 20s and my dreams came true. I'm getting to preach on TV and I'm getting to preach on Daystar and I'm getting to preach on God TV and all my preaching heroes that I grew up admiring, the Bishop Jakeses and the Pastor Parsleys and the Prophetess Juanita Bynums, all these people. I'm getting to meet them and now God's, God's blessing me. And then God breaks me. And our family goes through the greatest storm of our life. To the point I never thought it would be repaired. And then God mended our family, sent us. Listen, listen. This dream right here has been in me since I was 17. You get to see the taking and the giving. What you did not see was the blessing and the breaking. Because we don't Instagram the breaking. We don't Facebook the hell we going through. We don't Facebook when you ain't got enough money to go out to eat with everybody else. And they taking pictures on Instagram and posting it. And you think, I wish I could go, but I got four cents in the checking account. Y'all ain't with me this morning. He's going to take us, then he's going to bless us, then he's going to break us, then he's going to give Take Joseph in your Bible. God takes him out from the middle of his brethren, and then God establishes him and gives him dreams of the nation bowing down to him because now God's blessing him, and then God sends him to the prison because now God's got to break him. God's got to break him. But in the breaking is the multiplying. You will only... You will never reach your full potential when you refuse to submit to the breaking. Because when that boy brought his bread, he had five. Had it not been broken, it never would have multiplied. And if you ever want to do everything God's called you to do, you're going to have to go through the taking and the... Let's pretend like that didn't happen. You're going to have to go through the. You got to say it with some fire. Taking, blessing, breaking, giving. Come on. Taking, blessing, breaking. And I've learned this about God. God treats us like an old typewriter. Y'all young people don't know what that is. You can Google it when you get home. Okay. 
God takes us, then he blesses us, then he breaks us, then he gives us. And while we're shouting about the giving and writing our books on the giving and talking about how we came out on the other side, you know what God does? And then he takes us again. Then he blesses us again. Then he breaks us again. Then he gives us at a greater level. And then while we shouting about how we came out, you know what God does? I'm going to take you again, and I'm going to bless you again, and I'm going to break you again, and I'm going to give you again, because that's the order of knowing God. That's why your Bible says they knew him in the way he broke the bread. Because the only way you really get to know God, you don't get to know God because you went to do some Bible study classes or some small groups, even though I love all of those things. You get to know God because he has walked you by the hand through the taking, the blessing, the breaking, and the giving. They knew him in the way he broke the bread. You know what we call it? Communion. Because you pray one way when everything's fine, you pray one way in the blessing. I ain't getting no help in here. <laughs> Don't act holy on me this Easter Sunday. Come on, we've all had those mental breakdowns and called it intercession. Right, those emotional collapses and come out and say, well, you've been praying. You look like you got hit by a truck. Because we pray one way in the blessing. We pray a different way in the breaking because that is when we really get to know God. That's when we learn to commune with him. You don't know how much you depend on God until God's the only thing you got left to depend on. No, 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 no. You missed that. You don't know how much you depend on God until God's the only thing you got left to depend on. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that God has to keep some of us in need to keep some of us praying. Because God refuses, y'all with me today? God refuses to create a world for you that makes him unnecessary. That's why he's gonna. <laughs> That's what Easter's all about. These men, go ahead, Will, you can begin. These men with all of these promises and hopes and aspirations and dreams this is it this is it you ever had those moments where you thought you know what things are turning around for this family things are turning around things are looking up you get that raise at work money's turning around glory to God then you get in a car accident and got to have surgery. That's real life. Y'all hear them? That's real life. Get a raise at work, glory to God. Then mama has a stroke and ain't got nobody to take care of her. Man, I thought this was turning around. I thought this was it. But it's starting to feel like this ain't it. And the message Jesus is trying to tell them at Easter is this. Hope is never dead. It might feel dead. It might look dead. Like my body in the tomb for three days, it might look dead. You couldn't even find my body. Sometimes you can't even find hope. 
but it's never dead. Let me explain to you what's going on. You're just in the order of the breaking of the bread. You're just in the taking and the blessing and the breaking and the giving. I remember I was in college one time. I'm, I'm going to close with this. I was in college. I'm a college dropout, by the way, in case you're wondering. <laughs> I got an Amen. And I remember I had to take an art class. Can you imagine what that felt like? We were watching this video about a potter spinning the wheels. He'd always pull up on the clay spinning the wheels. And my mind raced to Jeremiah 18. When God spoke to the prophet, said, go down to the potter's house. Because I got something I want to tell you. And this is what I want to tell you. When it, feels like, when it feels like it's spinning out of control, that's what I'm using to make you. That's what I'm using to shape you. Don't freak out. You're just in the breaking. The giving is next. And a lot of, you know, I grew up, I grew up listening to good faith teaching. I grew up what, what, what we call today, and I know people in here probably have different views about it, and that's fine. But I grew up in what we used to call the Word of Faith movement. By confessing the Word and believing God. And as I got older, I, I, I finally figured something out. Nobody told me about the breaking part. I would read these books by these men of God, and they'd say things like this. I had to believe God for a million dollars. Took me three days. I'm like, well, bless your heart. I'm, I've read that at 17. I'm 35. Still hanging on to the promise. <laughs> Nobody told me about the in-between. Nobody told me about what I call the messy middle. Because we don't tweet that. But everybody in here. You're in the order. And it's through the order of the breaking of the bread that you, that you come to know him. Their eyes were open. This is him. And they were so fired up, they jumped up in the middle of the night. They just walked seven and a half miles and took off running seven and a half more in the middle of the night to go tell people, hope's not dead. Hope is alive. And we, God brought you here this morning to hear us screaming this in your ear. The promise isn't dead. Hope isn't dead. Faith isn't dead. Belief isn't dead. The promise isn't dead. It is very much alive. You, my dear, you're just in the order of the breaking of the bread. Stand upon your feet.